the Fed and Fit name came to me when I realized that I didn't have to diet anymore to be healthy. And I wanted people to understand that food comes first and you also don't have to starve yourself to be healthy. So you can be fed and really feel fed and be fit at the same time. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome and thanks for tuning in to the Two Fit Podcast, hosted by the Two Fit guys, Jake and Josh. Now, Two Fit, by definition, is actively pursuing a state of health and well being beyond perceived limitations. So, if you are looking to push the boundaries of performance mentally, physically, and everywhere in between, then you have come to the right place. On the Two Fit Podcast, we will be interviewing and having fireside chats with renowned experts from doctors and strength and conditioning coaches to athletes and entrepreneurs. Our goal is to extract tools and tricks of the trade that you can implement, whether you're a world-class athlete, weekend warrior, entrepreneur, or grinding out the eight to five, all in order to assist you on your journey to becoming Two Fit. All right, everybody, welcome back to another edition of the Two Fit Podcast, where today we're sitting down at Bedlam CrossFit with one of the most gracious guests we've had so far, Cassie Joy Garcia of Fed and Fit. And this is actually, I say that because this is kind of round number two, because I'm technologically uh, handicapped, as I like to say. So we, we did a Skype interview earlier, was that last week? This week. This week. Previous week, yeah. All the days are running together. So earlier this week, and about 40 minutes in, had a great conversation, and I noticed that one of the wires was not plugged in the right place, and my heart just sank. So, But long story short, we got to uh, come down here to San Antonio and meet with Cassie in person, and I think this is going to be even better. So thanks for joining us yet again. Oh my gosh, it's my pleasure. Thanks yeah. for coming all the way down here. Oh, of course. Of course. We're all over the place anyway. So It's nothing at this point. Yeah, pretty just much. another day. It's another day. <laughs> So, uh, give everybody a little bit of your of your background and uh, how you how you got to where you are now. Yeah, definitely. Well, if you're not familiar. I'm the blogger and nutrition consultant behind FedAndFit.com. And is, is that what you tell people when they ask like what you do? What you say do I'm, you I'm do? a blogger. You know what I actually say is I just say I'm a nutritionist. Yeah. <laughs> and then I yeah. leave it there. And if they start asking more questions, then yeah. I'll elaborate. Because yeah. when you say blogger, folks say you can do that. Oh. That's a job. <laughs> Or when you say nutritionist, they feel like, oh, so you're like judging what I'm eating all the they time. They do say that yeah. too. I know. Yeah. yeah. And um, Don't ask questions. Oh, I can't eat around you. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I, and I operate by a very strict keep your eyes on your own plate policy. So yeah. everybody, we can still have dinner together. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Um, but yeah, so I've got the blog and the podcast and a program, but I really got started in this industry, mostly the paleo industry, but really food, fitness, and trying to get folks to feel great, feel like themselves. Um, started about six years ago when I was really sick. I graduated from college and was really at my most unhealthy state. Uh, and I didn't really know why or what was going on. And I also didn't know that that wasn't the way I was supposed to feel. I just thought, maybe this is growing up. I'm not supposed to have energy and I'm supposed to be tired. My hips are supposed to hurt. It's <laughs> a source of accomplishment. So this wasn't like an autoimmune disease or anything. When you say I've you're never, sick, you just didn't feel good. I just didn't feel good. And I think I'm an example of a lot of folks look at the paleo lifestyle and anti-inflammatory you know, dietary protocols, and they think that it's meant for folks with a diagnosed autoimmune disease. 
And I don't have an autoimmune disease, but mm-hmm. the protocol helped me heal myself. There were inflammatory foods that were really making me sick. Um, so when I was at that state, I decided, well, let's diet. Because that's what the TV says right. I need to do to feel great. <laughs> so I tried them all, and they all worked very, very temporarily, mostly because I was just calorie restricting, and I wasn't looking at answering why I wasn't feeling great. I was just looking for a solution. And uh, so those weren't working, and I exercised more than I really should have. I I told folks I was a gym bunny, but I would go to the rack at A&M, mm-hmm. and then later when I moved to Austin, I got myself a membership at a gym. There's nothing wrong with getting gym memberships, but I would go and spend an hour, hour and a half on the elliptical thinking that, you know, I was, gosh darn, I'm going to burn some calories. Yeah. <laughs> Just a rat in a wheel. Exactly. Yeah. It's exactly what it was like. And uh, anyways, the diets just didn't work, and they didn't solve whatever underlying issue was there. And so fed up with those efforts, I decided to go back, really lean on my roots, which is I have a science background, and wanted to dig into the whys. You know, well, why am I feeling this way? And maybe we can solve it from that angle. And that's when I started to uncover research on the paleo diet. Rob Wolf, Lauren Cordain, you know, those books were the ones really at Mm -hmm. that point in time. And so I dove into that research, really respected what those guys had put together and started to experiment with maybe what would apply to me and my lifestyle. And because dieting is the only thing I knew how to do, I dieted on the paleo lifestyle. So I followed the paleo parameters, no grains, dairy, artificial ingredients, uh, refined sugars, and legumes. I followed those parameters, but I still calorie restricted. And it took a grace period of me figuring out that I needed to eat more of these healthy foods. And once I figured that out, my whole learning curve spanned about a year But at the end of that year, I had lost 10 dress sizes, so I went from a size 12, 14 to a size 2, 4, about. But I'm a a tall girl, you know, I'm not, and I carried it well. I didn't think that I had that much to lose. Mm -hmm. Um, But more importantly, my hip and my knee pain was gone. I had more energy than ever before. I could make that drive from College Station to San Antonio without having to pull over and take a nap (laughs) or, you know, drink all kinds of caffeine. I just, I started to really feel like myself for the first time ever, and um, it was incredible, and I was able to stay awake in classes. Anyway, so from there, because I got tired of dieting on paleo, eating my one cup of raspberries and my half a chicken breast, I wanted to, and it was working, I wanted to eat real food, so I started developing recipes with those ingredients, and there were a small handful of paleo blogs out there. Um, but not very many. So I just started writing recipes and friends and family were asking me what I was eating and what I was doing because they wanted to get in on it. And so yeah. that's why I started the blog to share with them. And it just blossomed from there. Folks started, I remember I remember watching my WordPress.com stats. If there's any startup bloggers listening, WordPress.com is the place to be. Mm-hmm. And I remember watching my stats one day. I went from 21 visitors all of my relatives <laughs> to 200 because WordPress featured me on their homepage. One of my wow. recipes was like, Oh my gosh, I made it. <laughs> and so it was just, it was a wild ride. And those moments still mean just as much to me as some other things that have happened more recently on a different scale. Um, but it's just been, it's grown organically from there. Um, and when folks started asking me more questions about the whys, I decided to go back and get my certification to be a nutrition consultant. Mm-hmm. So I worked with folks one-on-one 
and had this arsenal of healthy recipes to direct them to that totally free on the blog and then started a healthy mindset podcast because I think that's kind of the do not pass go when it comes to really right-sizing your health and finding your personal ideal fitness fit and food fit is you just gotta you gotta get your mindset straight first um so trying to answer all those things and throw whatever I can at it to help folks so how did your how did your workout routine change at all my workout routine changed a lot. So going from gym bunny, elliptical queen, nothing wrong with that. So my parents still have an elliptical. And when I was writing the book, I would go, because, oh, I just felt like Jabba the Hutt. I was just <laughs> sitting in this chair, just writing for hours and hours and hours. Um, so I would go get on their elliptical just to get some, my bones yeah. moving again. But um, really, my favorite routine is a mixed fitness program is what I like to promote. I'm, I CrossFit and I yoga and I never say no to a fitness class. If someone calls me up and they say, okay, I want to go try Pilates, but I'm a little nervous. I'm the first person to go with them because I think it's nice. important to try all kinds of different stuff. In CrossFit, I say that my secret weapon is yoga. And in yoga, my secret weapon is CrossFit. You just start to find that different fitness programs complement each other if you start to really keep things mixed and varied. Um, but you know, weight-bearing activities is something I was really afraid of. I remember walking by all the folks with the free weights in the gym. I didn't want to make eye contact. I was like, those are the real yeah. athletes oh over there. Um, I was intimidated by it, and I, I found great coaches through CrossFit that helped me overcome that fear, and I learned movements that are really safe for my body, and it responded really well. And those 10 dress sizes that I lost, I really only lost about 10 to 15 pounds in that which isn't a whole lot of weight and it's because i built a lot of really healthy muscle and Mm -hmm. i lost a lot of inflammation so yeah i hate that girls are so scared of the free weight section Mm -hmm. a lot of that's probably the guys fault over there in their you know (laughs) cut off tees all the way down to their hips and whatnot the bodybuilding beater you know yeah exactly the bodybuilding beater yeah (laughs) nice but it can do so much good they what i always hear when girls don't want to start lifting is because well i don't want to get all bulky Mm -hmm. i don't want to get big well, you're not genetically predisposed to getting big. I guess that's not going to happen, but it, it can help you with your forming strong bones, ligaments, tendons, everything else, and help you burn fat as well. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a great policy. It's like not being overly specialized in one area. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, some days it should be a hike. Some days it should be a swim. Some days it should be, you know, some strength work in the gym. I think that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. mixed fitness. You should probably uh, trademark that or something. <laughs> yeah. You find it in the book near you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. It is nice. Yeah. So kind of um, we touched on this the other day in our conversation, this big daunting word of paleo mm-hmm. and uncovering what that really is. Mm-hmm. I know you touched on some of the no wheat, no dairy, no mm-hmm. legumes. Um, we know that sort of thing. Some people don't. But what what does paleo mean? to you and to the average person out there that they can wrap their mind around it? Mm -hmm. I think it's easier by starting off with what it's not. You know, I think that paleo, I think I did say this the other day, but it's got an unfortunate name, this dietary protocol, because when you say paleo, it brings up the caveman connotation. And that, folks, I'm sure everyone who follows this, who's talked about it, has been asked the question, so you eat like a caveman? They didn't live very long. (laughs) (laughs) I know. You hear that a lot. Um, Really what it means is if you pull back and you look at the world of what foods are available now versus then, it's about trying to source and feed ourselves with minimally processed ingredients. 
and foods that haven't really been touched or altered so that they're still really beneficial to, to human health. Um, and that means that we probably try to gear ourselves towards anti-inflammatory foods because inflammation is really the root cause of all illness, right? I think most folks can agree to that with some exceptions. But so if that's the root cause of all illness, let's try to pursue anti-inflammatory lifestyles and foods. And those happen to be the ones that are within a paleo umbrella. Um, so the foods that are excluded are those grains, all wheat grains. Gluten, of course, is included in that. That's the wheat, barley, and rye um, are the gluten-containing grains. Corn is a grain, even though it looks like a vegetable. <laughs> um, rice and oatmeal, all of those things are grains that we try to avoid for the most part. Some are more, um, I guess, damaging to health than others. And then dairy, conventional and regular dairy, are within a very strict paleo sense, both, both out um, and then we've got the refined sugars and the artificial sweeteners, so Diet Cokes, powdered sugar, all of those things, all the really yummy things we have at Thanksgiving and Christmas. And there's still room for all of that stuff. It's not you're either on the bandwagon or off. Um, yeah, and then legumes, beans and peanuts, which are probably the ones that most folks reintroduce once they've really healed themselves and healed their gut. Um, some folks find that they tolerate beans and peanuts just fine. So I don't know. Did that answer your question? No, definitely. And then on, the, on like the legumes and the, and the grains, that's mm-hmm. more of like an anti-nutrient content, like some of these proteins that can actually cause a little gut permeability, right? right? Exactly. Yeah. So you kind of think of this is, oh, I hope no one's eating breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you think of the inside of your gut is actually the outside environment, right? So even though it's inside your body, your immune system is in that gut barrier and there are certain foods that we eat whatever is eaten and passed through is actually never entered your body and so that gut lining is that layer of defense and there are certain foods we eat that and that's i mean it's incredibly important what we eat that goes through that becomes a part of our body that we either have a reaction to or it helps nourish us it's really one or the other and we want to keep that gut barrier as healthy as possible so it can do its job and keep us healthy and healing. Because that's what human beings are. Our bodies are meant to heal. It's this amazing thing. If you remove some of the problems, it's amazing how quickly we can heal. So there's some foods that we eat, those anti-nutrients that you spoke of, some really um, damaging proteins, wheat gluten being one of them, one of those damaging proteins that everyone hears about a lot right now. But the reason why is it goes in, it's like a bulldozer to that precious gut lining, and it just plows its way through, busts these holes open, creating that intestinal permeability or leaky gut, if you've ever heard of that. And then what happens is it creates these holes and these gaps for other food particles to kind of find their way into your body, and then you wind up with inflammation because your body sees these foreign invaders and they attack. And just like how when you get sick, your lymph nodes swell, right, because your, your body is trying to fight off those foreign bodies um after let's say you eat a big bowl of pasta you went out for italian food you know folks wake up the next morning or even even later that night and your tummy's big and people tend to think i just gained 20 pounds overnight (laughs) well you didn't actually gain any weight your body's waging a war on whatever busted through your gut lining and so that's all it's trying to do is keep yourself healthy and so once you have particles that find their way into your body cavity over and over again, you start to develop a a legitimate, um, I don't want to say allergy, but 
sensitivity to those food particles. So as soon as one of those gluten particles finds its way through, your body might react faster than it would have before. Um, so the idea is to remove those damaging food particles, those proteins that are found in grains and in legumes, um, and then allow your gut to heal so you can go on and be healthy with your bad self. <laughs> but yeah, and then the you know other there's other cool proteins. That, stop me if I'm getting too nerdy and running on, but there's other cool proteins like the the phthalates that are found in beans and other legumes that. Um, they're anti-nutrients because what they'll do is they'll bind to really healthy vitamins and minerals. And even though you're eating like a very good, responsible human, you're eating your pile of steamed kale next to your steak and sweet potato, um, if you have some of those anti-nutrients that will bind to those healthy vitamins and minerals, you're not going to be able to assimilate them because they'll just hold on to them and they'll pass right through. So folks who find themselves with mineral deficiencies and vitamin deficiencies um, sometimes if they eliminate some of those other anti-nutrient including foods, they find that those deficiencies start to resolve themselves because they're eating those foods. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of folks who say, how can I be deficient in vitamin D and I'm eating all this great stuff? And that could be why. And I know I've recommended personally in the past to people to eliminate kind of one at a time. Like, mm-hmm. hey, just eliminate legumes and peanuts and then, you know, for 30 days and then let's eliminate breads. Um, do you recommend that, or do you recommend just kind of let's eliminate those the, those items with those properties altogether mm-hmm. and kind of see what happens? Or I think I think it depends on the person. When I was working with folks one on one, it was we we would start off the conversation with a know thyself piece first. You know, do, are you the kind of person that thrives best by ripping the band aid just clear off? You want to get to the bottom of the answer, you want to see what's really going on, then I say eliminate everything. Let's go strict paleo for four weeks and see what happens. Allow your body to really heal and then we can reintroduce some of those foods and see which ones you actually are reacting to and which ones you don't. Now there's other folks where that would just freak them out. If they came from a diet background like I did, because I needed to baby step my way into it. If I came from a diet background, if I'm someone tells me I can't have those things for 30 days, I'm going to feel like I'm on a diet. I don't care about what I'm learning about my body. You know, I'm, I'm either on it or off it, and that doesn't really help the mindset piece of it. So I think for those folks, it's important to do one at a time. And I've worked with a lot of folks. I would say, number one, if you're looking to do that, I would first eliminate grains. I think those are the most damaging, especially gluten-containing grains. And then after that, I would go with conventional dairy um, I would throw artificial sweeteners, maybe as in 0. 0.5. <laughs> that yeah. would be maybe yeah. before grains, but try to stop drinking the Diet Cokes and the Splendas in your coffees. But um, yeah, I, it's it's amazing if folks baby step themselves, whether it's two weeks to really feel like they've got it under control, or it takes a f- full four weeks per food group. Um, go at a pace that you feel really good with. So whenever people hear that term paleo, they think of the caveman, right? Right. But the, the Journal of Evolution and Health actually did a study, and they wanted to figure out who was actually eating paleo these days. And I, I can kind of give you the demographics of it, but regardless, they said what it boils down to is that whoever's eating paleo are basically optimizers. Mm-hmm. Like, they want to know how to, you know, train the best way, eat the best way, floss their teeth the best way, you know, clip their toenails the best way, whatever it might be. They want to live their healthiest life possible. But And so if you fall into that category, I can see how paleo would be an easy transition for you. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're not in that category, what do you see that kind of holds those people back from making that transition? What are some of the 
the points of frustration for people who want to transition to paleo? Oh, man, that's a good question. That's a great question. Thank you. It really is. (laughs) Came with an education and everything. (laughs) Oh, goodness. You can take your time. You cited a journal, you know? I I know. (laughs) Been studying. It's getting nerdy in here. Can I I phone a friend? (laughs) Sure. Just kidding. Oh, man, that's great. You know, I would say the thing that holds most folks back... One of it is, I don't know if this is answering the question or the answer you were looking for, but the name, I think. Um, I think folks who are looking to optimize health, mm-hmm. they don't care about labels. Right. If it works, it works. And if they're starting to feel great, then that's good. If they're starting to perform better in their workouts, then they're in. So they don't care about labels. Folks who don't necessarily aren't, you know, optimize, I guess, they're not motivated by optimizing their life in that regard. They just right. want to, they'd rather an 80% solution. So they can feel like they can still go and do whatever it is that makes up their life or they feel that defines it. I would say um, understanding that you don't have to be all in to see a lot of progress. Mm. I, I don't know if that's yeah. the answer you're kind of looking for or one that fits. But um, I don't I know think, what I was looking for. I was just, I was just asking. <laughs> I, think, I think that's a common misconception is you don't have to be all in. Um, I'm a paleo food blogger and I have a social media account. I will constantly post look at this delicious cocktail I just made or (laughs) these corn tortillas are awesome, you know, and I've gotten, and I eat a lot of white rice, polished white rice because, um, the, the outside of the rice is really where a lot of those anti-nutrients reside and the inside is just pure starch, endosperm carbohydrate. Most folks tolerate it just well. And I get the question all the time, uh, is rice paleo? (laughs) No, it's not. And yeah. corn isn't, and neither is alcohol necessarily. But you don't have to go all in. And you don't have just to, to pursue a paleo lifestyle and to see the benefits. You don't have to be optimizing constantly. Um, you don't have yeah. to fall into that type A kind of personality that a lot of folks in this industry are. Yeah, it's just a little funny to me because even like Native Americans were eating uh, wild rice and beans and everything too. Mm-hmm. So I um, yeah, I've even read that you know, civilizations like that they would they were kind of inherently like, maybe we don't give them enough credit, but they would sprout their foods, you know, mm. and even by sprouting beans for twenty four hours can can leach out a lot of those anti nutrients and rinsing them, people tolerate them better. Now, do you ever experiment with any of that or? Yeah, mostly on nuts. That's something that a lot of people miss is that nuts. Uh, and seeds actually have just as many anti-nutrients as some legumes do. Um, and so that's why if you look up a recipe and it calls for sprouted or soaked nuts, that's why, because it really helps combat that. Um, so I do it in that regard. Mm-hmm. I don't eat as many cool. beans because I really like rice and I really like potatoes. <laughs> yeah, that's our go-to. It's like, yeah. Especially around workouts, mm-hmm. some good organic white yeah. rice and sweet potatoes. Low GI still. Yeah, yeah. for mm-hmm. sure. What's a, so gluten-free is obviously a huge tenant of the paleo diet Mm -hmm. what's like a good easy rule of thumb people can use when they're you know going through the aisles of the grocery store to avoid gluten to avoid gluten you know it's a double-edged sword that gluten has gotten so popular lately um the the pro side is that it's labeled everywhere you know mustard now is labeled gluten-free and a lot of them already were folks are just getting smart about putting it on there so now it provides easier navigation for folks who are looking, I think, in the condiment aisle is where it's really advantageous. Um, now, where I think that it's not great is that now cereal is being labeled gluten-free. And just because it's a gluten-free cereal does not make it a health food. And so you kind of have to be a savvy consumer still. you know, Just because 
the the big companies are catching on and they're putting it on the front side of the project product. You don't have to flip it over and read the fine print. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean necessarily that um, we can become lazy when we're shopping. So read. I still encourage folks to label read and make sure that if you can, if you understand and you could personally source all the ingredients on the back of a package. Um, if you're looking to incorporate that into your daily life or whatever it is, then that's a good one. If you're looking at salsa, yeah. for example, salsa is a pretty good one to. You should understand what all the ingredients are. Yeah, it just reminds me of that kind of that fat-free movement when they were taking the fat out of everything. Mm-hmm. They noticed that everything tasted so terrible, so then they loaded it on the back end with sugar. And whenever you're digesting all that, like the cereals, breakfast cereals, and all that, it's just turning into to fat on you mm-hmm. and on your liver. So I just wonder. You know, like you're saying with those breakfast cereals, how they have the the gluten free on there. It's like, well, what else is hiding behind that as well, though? Yeah, just it, it's kind of become more of a marketing stamp, unfortunately, yeah. in mm-hmm. today's world. Similar to some of the paleo products, you know. I mean, we mm-hmm. all three here, are obviously, big fans of the paleo movement and believe in it. But with that, people kind of latched on, use that label, uh, paleo certified, to make all sorts of dessert treats and things that maybe people who just don't know, like you said, to read the label, are kind of like. Oh, it's paleo. Cool, I can eat it. And uh, mm-hmm. they might be loading up on on uh, kind of what Jake said: a lot of sugars and other sources of you know unhealthy foods that come along with even paleo certified products. Absolutely, I like to think that you know I like to eat food that can be cooked for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and that's one way to kind of avoid some of those other dietary yeah. convenient foods pitfalls. Um, and try to just try to avoid snacks. And if you're going to have a snack, make it yourself or be really intentional about what you're buying and understand that it's um, some that's something that's not going to necessarily promote health, but it may not also sabotage it. It's just middle ground. So if people are cooking all their own food mm-hmm. at this point, what do you recommend cooking with and what do you actually cook with yourself? Um, yeah, as far as equipment goes? Yeah. So... Yeah. <laughs> I think I've heard this question before. I know. It was, she did so well last time. So, <laughs> oh, let's see if I can do it justice. Um, so, there's three different kinds of cookware that I like to cook with. First is my favorite, my enameled cast iron. There's Le Creuset is one of them. Staub is the one that I personally like, just because I think they're pretty. Staub. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and no, of course, no affiliation there. <laughs> sure. They do. They did show up a lot in my book and my photos because I took yeah, pictures you're working of my on food. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, I went out on a limb one morning. I had too much coffee, and I decided I'm going to email Staub. <laughs> <laughs> and I emailed them, and they were very excited about it. So I might have some knives to give away to there somebody, but still no formal affiliation. Awesome. Um, but yeah, enameled cookware is a really great one. It's it's relatively non-stick, just naturally. Um, use a lot of fat. That's a good one. You can if you're making a roast, put that in the oven. It's a good thing to put on the stove. Make a big batch of chili. It'll keep it really warm and safe for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, after that, I really like my stainless steel cookware. My stainless steel frying pan, which is the one with the sloped edges, and then a saute pan is the one with the straight up and down edges. I like to have, I recommend folks buy one of each, and I refer to both of those in my book as well. The saute pan's great for sauces, because um, it has that nice tall lip and things won't fly out. This isn't like a big wok pan, right? <laughs> Not okay. like a big wok. Yeah. I actually just got rid of my wok. I really? couldn't find a stainless steel one that I wanted to spend the money on. Um, and my my Teflon coated one just finally... It was time. It was time to part. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the stainless steel is great, and it really intimidates people. I think cooking on it because it looks like it's going to stick, and it will at first. But you're going to get the hang of it. So make sure you're cooking with enough fat. 
I think some of the best cooking fats are ghee, which is just clarified butter. It has a really high smoke point, which means that if you've ever watched, I don't want to dog her, but Rachel Ray, when she cooks, she adds the olive oil into the pan, and she says, now right when it starts to smoke is when you add the protein in. <laughs> and I want to be like, no, don't do it. Don't let it smoke. Yeah. So it's really healthier to see to use fats that aren't going to get to that smoke point, but that can hold up to heat. So ghee is a good one. Um, duck fat, bacon fat, which folks can just, just collect your fat on Sunday mm-hmm. after bacon, and you've got it good to go. So... In the stainless steel cookware, I say use lots of fat. Make sure the heat's really high. And if you're cooking a protein, put it on there. And if it if it sticks and it's not flipping, that means it's not done yet. So it kind of allows, at that point, lets the food kind of control the timing of things, which is a really kind of fun way to cook because you just let the ingredients guide you. Um, so stainless cookware is great, and it also can go straight from the stove into the oven, which is really nice. And then lastly, because I do like to scramble a lot of eggs, and it may, nothing makes me crazier than having stainless steel pan that's just coated with <laughs> eggs because that will yeah. stick. So I invested, I ditched my nonstick Teflon stuff, and I got enameled, um, these enameled uh, was ceramic pans. And I, I like mine because they're white, so I can really see the food a little easier, but I've got a nice big one and a little one, and those are my egg pans. And they're really great, really easy to use, more non-toxic or less toxic, I guess, than Teflon would be. And when it comes to Teflon, I'm sure 90% of the people listening probably have Teflon pants. I mean, my mom does. And Teflon, my personal stance on it is that it's fine if it's brand new, okay? It's probably still going to be leaching some things into your food that aren't really great for health, but for the most part, it's okay as long as it's new. Now, as soon as they start to flake, is when that stuff is gonna wind up in your food and you're gonna ingest it and it's really not good for you to keep things very surface level. Um, So if things, if your Teflon looks scratched or starts to dull a little bit, then it probably is already flaking. So I would consider either replacing it or investing in ceramic pans. Um, And they don't all have to be very expensive. Mine are by Berndez, also not affiliated, but I love them. Um, I like those, but you can. I've also seen some at Tuesday morning recently for 15 bucks, and I bought my sister one so that she could replace her pan. So that's a good one. And then lastly, there was a fourth one, um, would be my um, uh, cast iron yeah. pan. And that's love a cast iron. Oh, it's great. I mean, that's just. We keep it, I keep mine on top of the fridge so it doesn't ding anything mm-hmm. else that I yeah. have. It's kind of got a safe space up there, but I've had mine for almost 10 years. Wow. And you just, you, it's so easy to use once you get the hang of it. So just jump in, it's going to be fine. Um, but you keep it nice and oiled. It's actually easier to clean than people think. Um, and you put it in the oven to cure it afterwards. And I don't know, it's one of my favorite pieces to use because it adds so much character to food especially yep. proteins when you're cooking it um i want to go back to you said you're saving the bacon fat yes so what i've done i've had this jar i just got rid of it whenever i moved i don't know if you ever witnessed this i did unfortunately but there's a there's a five pound uh, protein jar uh-huh. that i've had for like four years and i just put the grease in there after everything i cook because i don't want to get in my pipes uh-huh and uh, it's one of our competitors, which I think is kind of funny. But so I have this like, you know, four pounds of grease and, you know, lard and whatever else. It's pretty gross. But do you, I know they used to make like soap out of it back in the day. Yeah. Which I haven't dove into that. <laughs> Just yeah. myself knowing where it came from, I don't think I can do that. But 
do you do you save your grease or use it for anything or you just I do. okay yeah i save it for sure cool. i have a jar so bacon fat's actually shelf stable mm-hmm. you can keep it out um which is nice because if folks keep it in the fridge it can be really hard and then you won't want to use it as much um but yeah i save all of my bacon grease because that's just delicious um keep it right out there right next to my olive oil and i'll use that and then i'll also gosh i'll order a couple times a year i'll order a duck from u.s wellness meats Hmm. and actually i think i'll order two so i've got one in the fridge but one modestly sized pastured duck so we're not talking these are not fed soy and corn these are healthy ducks gave me each one gives me about four cups of duck fat wow wow they render a lot of fat so you cook they're happy ducks they're happy (laughs) it was a happy duck had a happy life yeah (laughs) and so um that's a great one and i i'll just cook up a duck when i'm ready for more duck fat and that's a good one to use for if you're going to fry something kind of for a treat um that's a great one plantains for example cooked Mm -hmm. in duck fat oh that sounds awesome where it's at yeah and on the bacon you recommend like pasture non-gmo fed you know pork as well yep exactly yeah yep and there's a lot of sources out there nowadays um five years ago it was hard to find but you could find it in a lot of places now okay so let's touch on a little bit on the dairy side okay we kind of tackled that wheat and and <clears throat> grains and i think dairy i don't know my opinion and everybody here probably that other big hurdle for people to get over on on there's dairy and everything too right mm-hmm. and people love their dairy love their milk their cheese mm-hmm. and uh what, what are some of the inherent problems with the dairy we have out there now? Yeah. So there's two categories. I think that's how I broke it up last time. But I like to think of it as there's conventional dairy and there's grass-fed dairy, right, pastured dairy. So those are – we've got the cows in the California dairy commercials. You know, we have happier cows and they're roaming mm-hmm. around in the green grass and the blue skies. You know, that's those are just like the happy duck. That's a happy cow and it's eating really what it's meant to eat grass and all the other things that it gets and it might have occasionally hay which is fine um, on occasion and then on the other end of the spectrum if you folks have seen food inc is when you think of conventional dairy or conventional cattle that's what we're talking about that's the um the feedlots they're really really close quarters there's no grass necessarily they're just kind of standing in mud and other things and they are fed usually soy and corn um and then just a mixture of other foods that are just meant to make them as fat and maybe produce dairy as quickly as possible. If not to interrupt you, but if I don't know if this was from food Inc, but if, if, um, if our entire conversation, like won't convince you to go like with pasture raised animals and, mm-hmm. and all forms, meat, dairy, etc. Um, I think it was food Inc, but they had the cow in the trough, right mm-hmm. next to all the other cows lined up and they, it's gets a little graphic, but they had a big circle cut out kind of in the chest cavity, mm. um, the upper rib area of the cow. And when it would bloat from all the corn and soy, um, which is obviously creating these massive omega-6 levels, there's very little omega-3, they would have to put grass in this hole so that it could get its omega-3 levels up, which would help reduce some of the bloat, get it back to a normal range. So they were only pumping grass in this thing through a hole they cut in its body to reduce the bloat and keep mm-hmm. this cow living. I mean, it's I mean, it's just not, it's sad, you know? It is. It's atrocious. And if the animal is sick, you can only imagine that what it's producing is sick. You know, it's not going to be, it's not optimal by any stretch of the imagination. And then, you know, the adage of you are what you eat and you are what you eat eats 
kind of really, really applies here because these cows that are taking in GMO, GMO so, soy and corn, <laughs> that's a mouthful. <laughs> um, they're taking in just an excess of genetically modified soy and corn products is making them sick. It's got those phytoestrogens, which is in soy, which is an estrogen mimicker. Um, and there's all kinds of things when people are drinking a lot of conventional dairy, um, it can tend to throw off their hormones because those phytoestrogens go th- become a part of the cow, which becomes a part of the cow's milk, um, and then becomes a part of our body. So it, those, those properties do transfer through, just like the healthy vitamins and minerals in healthy cows can come through to us. It's the same is true on the opposite end of the spectrum of unhealthy cattle. So um, I, I, I try to avoid those as much as possible. And even worse, I think, than the feed is are the antibiotics and the hormones that are given to these animals. Um, and the hormones are meant, of course, to help them grow faster because those ranchers have a bottom line that they're looking at and they need to increase yield as much as possible. So they're fed hormones, growth hormones, to help them get larger, faster, produce more faster. And then the antibiotics, because they're in such close quarters and because there's really no sunshine and grass and things to really help keep them healthy, they preventatively provide them with antibiotics to keep them healthy. And then those become a part of the cow, which become a part of our food. So those things we're taking in through our food sources. And if we aren't going to the doctor asking for a preventative antibiotic at flu season, you know, folks, people just don't do that. It's not healthy. It's not good for our gut flora, which are part of that line of defense to help keep our, our guts healthy. And so it makes no sense to be able to also find that in our food. So I say that's out first and foremost. Um, and then secondary, if, if dairy is still something you feel very strongly about and you're not going to give it up, that's a knowing myself limit. You know, when I've worked with clients and they say, you can't make me give up my cheese and my milk. Was, okay, we can work with that, but let's find healthier sources. So I say look for pastured, grass-fed, non-hormone, um, non-antibiotic fed or provided with dairy and it's easy easier to find now just like the bacon is um, but those are a lot better and dialing back though is just looking at the food you're taking in in a week if a lot of your calories and your meals come from dairy or can maybe be rethinking that because you're probably getting a lot more sugars from that dairy protein that milk than maybe you really you might realize so yeah, there's a there's a lot. There's yeah, a, that's a, a meat-legged animal. Yeah. <laughs> but. yeah, we were just talking about the antibiotics on the way down here today about how it doesn't distinguish between good flora and bad flora in your mm-hmm. gut. It just wipes it all out. Mm-hmm. So, um, so where I mean, where do you where do you draw the line? I mean, when you tell people when you're working with somebody, what do you say? Okay, these are the dairy products you can have in moderation, and this is no go at all. Yeah, so I like to say that conventional dairy's out. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, let's just, unless you're having a pizza night and you're going out and you found some gluten-free pizza, which isn't a health food, but it's maybe better than some of the alternatives, right. who knows what kind of cheese they're going to use, let your hair down. Um, but for, if you're grocery shopping and you're stocking your home, yeah. I like to say look for full fat dairy. I think when you really have those fats combined with the healthy dairy protein or sugars that come with a healthy cow, um, those work harmoniously together. The same reason we eat the yolk and the whites together now, not just the whites. Um, they're meant to be taken together. So I say full-fat dairy is great. That comes from a healthy source. And then if you don't tolerate dairy well and you know that about yourself, it could be because of those whey proteins. 
Um, so I say I, I really recommend sheep's milk is another good alternative. There's some good sheep's milk yogurts out there. And then after that, there's goat. A lot of people tolerate goat cheese just fine. Um, so that could be one. And then lastly, bison mm. actually has the, the lowest amount of those uh, lactose, those whey proteins. So. Did you see that camel's milk at Paleo FX? No, but I yeah. did hear about it. Yeah, yeah apparently it's just became really legal. Did you try yeah. it? It is yeah, awesome. It's really good. That's, I want to know. Maybe recommend that one. It's out of California. Happy, happy yeah. camels. Happy yeah. camels. Happy camels. <laughs> and I think what they they uh, so we actually recommended that in our most recent newsletter, mm-hmm. our toolbox, and uh, reading up more on their website, they work with camel farm farms or farmers, mm-hmm. and I guess there's only like an average of six camels per herd. Um, whereas there's like 80,000 cows per camel in the United States or something like that. It's crazy. Um, but yeah, they, I don't think they're all in California, but they're like around the country. Uh, these small little camel herds. I, I don't, I've never seen them, but they, I, apparently they do exist because they're producing some pretty good milk. Literally. <laughs> so if, if you could get your hands on raw, unadulterated cow's milk mm-hmm. would you drink it absolutely if i if i if i knew the rancher i knew the farmer i mm-hmm. absolutely would. from a happy cow from a happy cow exactly yeah. and there's probably folks listening who they have that guy they oh, yeah. have that rancher around the corner where they get raw dairy from and that's great i say keep pursuing that um it's kind of a black market thing it, is, it really yeah. is which is crazy and i think we yeah. might mention that but the Farm to Consumer Legal Defense Fund is one that's out there. It's these bands of lawyers that try to help protect the rights of farmers to sell to whomever they want. They've got healthy products, healthier than what we're finding on the shelves. Um, but because big dairy, yeah. you know, big dairy business has implemented and helped inspire a bunch of laws. So yeah, with well, the guy that you just met here, I won't say his name here for for that reason. But he, <laughs> to protect him, <laughs> yeah. He he used to have a guy, and the way he describes it, it's almost like a drug deal going to get the stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if you're pulled over with it, you're you're going to jail. That's bananas. It's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah crazy. Well, um, let's see. I know one other thing I want to talk about before we kind of switch gears was what do you recommend seasoning wise? Yeah. Yeah. See- what do you like to use? What are the go tos? Well, I guess it depends on Garcia. So (laughs) I'm heavily influenced by those roots. Oh yeah, I I use a lot of chili powder and cumin and garlic powder in my cooking. Um, I used to use a lot of onion powder, but I found that I think you know just throwing an onion in that cast iron pan with a couple tablespoons of butter. Start it. 45 minutes before you cook anything. Oh, no. That's, so, a, that's a commitment. It's a long time. Let's say you get home from the gym, okay? And you're going to make dinner, but you got to take a shower first. Just chop up an onion and stick it in the pan over low heat while you go get ready. And then the flavor you're going to get out of that onion is way better than onion powder. Mm. That was a side note. Good but, tip. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can't help myself. Um, but, yeah, I would say that uh, those powders are great. Use a lot of sea salts. Fine sea salt is my go-to. I ditched the kosher a while ago, and food started tasting a lot better, and the, the mineral content's a lot better. It's a lot safer. Um, and then I use a lot of black pepper, but when it comes to spices, that's another industry where you don't really know what you're getting because yeah. they don't always... You don't you don't know really where it's packaged or what cross-containments could be, so I would find a spice company that you really trust. Um I, my favorite are Primal Palette, the Primal Palette guys, Bill and Haley of Primal Palette. And they've got an awesome line of spices. They even have them bundled by anti-inflammatory, um, wow. all kinds of neat things. So, 
yeah, just find some good spices. Himalayan pink salt got a lot of buzz. Oh, yeah. And I think that's fine if you like it. I don't... I really like my sea salt. My plain old... Buy it at H-E-B. Yeah. Um, pink salt's kind of weird. It, it's yeah. it's different. I find I need more of it than I do the other. So all my recipes are written with just plain old sea salt. Yeah. How about the one thing I kind of forgot to ask? I'm a, I'm a sucker for the crock pot. Yeah. I love to just put it all in there at night and then go to bed and it's ready for me in the morning. It's the best. Or same thing from going to work that day and then it's ready for me that night. What uh, is that? I know it wasn't in your like top four or five you said there. <laughs> But it's not fair. My crock yeah. pot's gonna have hurt feelings if it hears this because <laughs> it is one of my favorites. Yeah, I love my crock pot. I have one with an insert that comes out, um, so I can brown right on the stove. Oh wow! Because that's, that's nice. another trick. If y'all yeah. if y'all don't brown before you before you cook, there's some major flavors that are possible. I thought you like had to. Well, yes. Yeah, I've always done it like the skillet. I didn't think it was just because cast iron and then threw it in the crock pot. Yeah, but that's nice. You can actually brown it in that pot and Mm -hmm. just transfer it. And just put it in there. The other thing that that changed my life with it is the liners, so you don't have to uh, clean it after. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, I need to get me some of them liners. That sounds (laughs) awesome. Yeah, no, I love the crock pot. I think that's a huge helper. Something one of the things that I thought about in the book that's important. I love to cook. Right? There's no secret about it. But I don't want to be cooking five hours every day <laughs> that's like I don't enjoy that I've got other things I want to do oh, that's what life. you did no <laughs> no isn't that what bloggers do um, so what I tried to think about is I wrote recipes that create big a lot of food big portions or a lot of portions um, and the crock pot's a great way to do that I have an entire chapter for slow cookers um, but I, I think that's a really great way to prepare yourself I call it knitting your own healthy safety net because if you're able to make these big meals, and maybe you serve half of it that night for you and your family, maybe you have whatever left over for um, lunches or dinners the next days, but you put the rest of it in pre-portioned packages into the freezer, and then you've got kind of frozen TV dinners, so to speak, that are totally healthy. You made them. You know where they're coming from. So when everybody's – we all have those days where you, you're not going to cook, and you don't have any food. You yeah. come home, you're like, there's no – well, what are we ordering? Yeah. <laughs> because I'm not cooking. It's not going to happen. You have that safety net you can fall back on that you've woven for yourself. So the crock pot's a great way to do that. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Well, let's um, kind of transition a little bit and uh, tell people a little bit more about what you're doing now with Fed and Fit. Like the website. I know you have the Fed and Fit project. Mm-hmm. Uh, book will be coming out this summer. Mm-hmm. Um, so what is the Fed and Fit project? What do you do for people there on your website? Yeah, so the Fed and Fit project was, I mean, I'm a long storyteller. I feel like people have to know all the details in order to get it. So the Fed and Fit Project came from, as a, as a nutrition consultant working with folks one-on-one, I got to the point where I was maxed out. I was working with 10 people a week, and that was all I could do to give them the attention that they needed, and I needed to scale. If I was going to help more people, I needed to figure out a way to do that. So after a long time working with hundreds of folks, I boiled down kind of the things that worked for everybody. And I wound up with my four pillars of health and then this basic program. Um, and by basic, this is a like hundred pages to describe this basic program in my book. So basic in terms of um, in substitute of somebody working with you one-on-one. So the Fed and Fit Project is a 28-day food and fitness program. And it's the idea of we, get, we talk about the four, first pillar is mindset. We cover that first. We get our, our goals set, and we understand that the goal, maybe if someone comes into it and they think, I want to lose 50 pounds. 
Well, that's that's a good vision, but your goal is to actually work at it every day. You know, that's the goal. So we get we get people's mind centered around it, and then we talk about rest and hydration because those really, I believe, those are more important than food or fitness in terms of success and a healthy lifestyle. So talk about how to figure out how much sleep you actually need, how much water you actually need, and how to adjust that number if you're working out or if it's a hot day. Um, and then we talk about food, and we talk about the sabotaging foods and the healing foods. And then fitness, we talk about helping folks find their ideal fitness fit. So it's going to be different for everybody. I CrossFit and yoga, and, I, and I'm just generally active. I don't say no to events. Um, but for somebody else, that might be home workouts, you know, DVDs, and, or maybe it's all CrossFit, or maybe it's all yoga. Whatever it is, find something that works for you. So I try to hold people's hand through that, answering all those questions. And then it's a 28-day program. I've got a meal plan provided for them. And if they don't want to follow the specific meal plan, they don't want stuffed peppers on Tuesday and casserole on Wednesday, we also have them a generic one where they can insert their own foods. Um, And then Julie Bauer, who is my co-author, she's the uh, blogger behind paleomg.com. She jumped in. She's an awesome CrossFit coach and provided me with workouts for the program or for the project in the book. So the book has 28 days of meal plans and workouts, and that's what's in there. And then the project online, so folks who buy the book can do the project on their own. I, they have the, the, the journal so that they can really document their lessons learned through these 28 days. And the idea is not necessarily to do it perfectly, but to keep looking for opportunities to write down a lesson learned. Okay, And the journal isn't about, well, I had three quarters of a cup of raspberries today, but it's more about, I was really tired this morning, but I think it's because I didn't drink enough water yesterday. So writing down those big hitters, and then at the end of 28 days, you're left with this almost book, literal book on yourself of these big lessons learned that you can lean on when, when things go crazy again. You have a holiday season. You're trying to figure out how to get back on the right track, and instead of jumping in and doing another diet, you can just look back on your lessons learned, and you can say, oh, I'm tired. Maybe it's because I need to be drinking more water, or maybe it's because those corn tortillas I had last night don't always make me feel so great. So that's the purpose of it. And then the project online is just to help support folks even further in that regard. So they get the entire program online, but they also have Julie and I recorded newscaster style videos to kind of help walk them through the 28 days. So every week they get a new set of videos and we tackle all kinds of fun things like the ladies, um, you know, how to not go too low carb and to know when they need to eat more, for example. Um, so they have videos, we have a community forum, and then an integrated project journal. So all kinds of really fun stuff and bonus materials. I couldn't help it. Julie and I pulled resources and we pulled our, our project-compliant recipes from both of our blogs. And so they have a 200-recipe ebook that's wow. available online. That's really cool. So. Yeah, well, we love what you're doing, and the world needs more people like you out there. So. Oh, thanks. Doing my part. You know, you know, just feel like I'm flying blind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That means you're doing something right. Yeah. I guess so. People yeah. ask, how's it going? It's like, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. But I've been working yeah. on it for a long yeah. time. Well, it's, it's such a cool story how you started from just a blog with 21 followers, mm-hmm. you know, to rolling out a book that's hitting stores nationwide. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I'd just be interested to know what are some of, like, the biggest, you know, challenges you faced during your time of growing fit and fit? Yeah, you know, I would say self-doubt was number one. I really thought that even though I knew deep down I had something to say and I knew I could relate to people, and that's all I want to do is I want to sit down with somebody and look them in the eyes and tell them they're not alone. Like, you're not alone. You can do this. You're going to feel great. There's a way. 
it's not going to look like anybody else's way. It's going to look like yours. And so just kind of provide folks with that reassurance. I knew I could do that, but I was looking at the landscape of what was already out there. And I was like, who the heck am I to enter this noisy market? You know, and there's so many blogs and they're great blogs. I don't want to compete with them. I don't want to draw away from them. And that's just ludicrous. There's my, of us bloggers are all friends, you know, kind of behind the scenes. We really think of each other as colleagues. And I talk to folks a lot and they say, what do you mean? Aren't they your competition? We don't see it that way at all. We're all this collective force working together to kind of just do our part. And the folks who follow me and who are kind of like, say, a part of my tribe are not the same as other people. Um, And so I think that was a huge learning opportunity for me was to realize that there are people who are going to want to stay in touch with what I'm doing, that I'm going to be able to touch and reach that somebody else might not. So if you've got something to say, and I say this on my podcast a lot, I really like to encourage people to start blogs. But if you've got something to say, and you know you do, do not worry about if you think that there's room in the world for it. Just say it. You owe it to the people who are waiting to hear it. Um, so I think that was that was a big one. Was mm-hmm. am I is is this even good enough to put out there in the world? Is it really going to help anybody? And it's a you have to have you have to be like ninety percent crazy to actually try to turn a blog into a business because it takes a long time and you have to go without and it takes a lot of hard work and building up a backlog before things really start to roll. Um, but if you believe in it and you're motivated by your work, I mean, I haven't released anything. I feel like in a year been working on behind the scenes and I haven't gotten any feedback but I'm still just as jazzed and I can't even imagine what's going to happen when people start calling me and telling me that the youth they got the book and they like it I mean it's just going to put me through the roof so um, you have to love what you're doing but I say if you have something to say remember that there's somebody else out there that needs to hear it how long was the process writing the book did you always know that you wanted to make kind of turn your blog into a book or did this opportunity come along and then how long did that process take yeah, it's a it's a great question. So I think I I knew I had it in me to write a book. Like right now, I think I have it in me to write a fiction novel one day because <laughs> I'm verbose. <laughs> I like long stories. Um, I I knew I had it in me. I love writing recipes, and I think it was one of those things. Friends and family, oh, you better write a book one day. I hope you're keeping track of all these recipes. So, is that how your family talks? That's, yeah, that's exactly how they Garcia. talk. Yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Oh, that's exactly how they talk. I'm just kidding. Um, but yeah, so I knew I had it in me, but I didn't. Again, I didn't know if it was ever going to happen. It's kind of one of those pipe dreams to know if it was really going to come to fruition. And I started talking with the, my publishing house, Victory, about. About four years ago, really, I just started reviewing colleagues' books online and developed a relationship with them, and they really liked my brand, and they said, well, when you're ready, let's do one. And that process lasted about a good two and a half, three years of me just trying to figure out, what am I going to write that people need? What do people need? Because the same thing as starting a blog. It's like, look at all these books that are already out. (laughs) They should have, I mean, people always want more recipes. And I had some that I had been saving. um, But I didn't know what folks needed. And so I laid low and I listened. And I really just observed the market for a really long time. And that's when I started the project online. My beta group was to really answer something that I didn't think was being answered yet. And that was the mindset piece. And it's the you build your perfect you plan. 
that wasn't really out there. You know, it was it was detoxes and full on restrictive you know programs, and there wasn't really something out there that said you can learn lessons that are only meant for you that will make you feel great. So um, I laid low until I found that. I gave the the project a trial run online. And I didn't actually realize it was going to be a part of the book until halfway through. And the publisher called and said, well, this is great. Can we put it in the book? (laughs) So, you know, it grew by another 200 pages. But um, it was a long process. I signed my contract in April of 2015. So it's been, it'll have been about a year and a half before it really hits the shelves. Awesome. It's a long process, but it's it's really fun. Again, you have to be a little bit crazy. I was going to (laughs) say, I mean, the... The thought of writing a book sounds so daunting to yes. me. And I know you like to encourage people, like, whatever you have to say, you know, write it down, get it out there. The world needs to hear it. But full disclosure, myself and Josh, we have a blog, but it's it's hard some days, yeah. you know, just starting. And that blank page can kind of be a little bit scary. Mm. So what do you – or you see, even sitting behind – if you want to start a podcast, sitting behind the mic can be a little uncomfortable at first or behind the camera, whatever it might be. What helps you kind of overcome that and what do you tell others to do the same? I say right. I mean, just it's 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 like working out. You know, if if anybody has started CrossFit, we're sitting in a CrossFit gym, so it comes to mind most freshly. But when you start CrossFit, the first two weeks just suck. I mean, they just do. You have to make yourself go because it's not necessarily fun. You don't feel great. You're really sore. Feels uncomfortable. You want to say, why the heck am I doing this? And then after those two weeks, maybe four weeks, depending on where you're at, the cloud starts to lift. You find a groove, and it's like your body just gets in the car and drives before you even realize that you wanted to talk yourself out of it. And so, and you start to feel great from it. And I think that writing in any creative pursuit is very similar. If you do it every day or every other day or two times a week, set yourself up on a schedule, it becomes so much easier. Um, My blog has evolved a lot over the last five years, and my writing has really changed so just allow yourself that grace to learn in front of other people. And that's something that, that was my very first blog post was Go Ugly Early was the name of my blog post because I needed to put it out there. This is ugly. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody WordPress will, didn't want to feature that. Yeah. No, WordPress <laughs> passed on that one. <laughs> but um, yeah, I say try to set yourself up on a system. Now, there's nothing worse than staring at a blank page nothing worse writing a book is no different and when I had to write the front matter when we decided to incorporate the project in the book I was like well there's no way I can tell people just sleep eight hours a night I need to provide them with more I need to provide them with a calculation and then the whys and the cortisol level and hormones and everything throughout the day and so um, sitting down and trying to put words to the science and stuff like that was really challenging for me and it's because there's so many exceptions to the rule and I wanted to provide all of them but you you can't you have a page limit so um I just had to start I just had to start writing and you have to trust the material you have to trust your words and whatever you want to say whether it's written or spoken in a podcast or if you've got a video blog you just have to trust that whatever you're going to say is going to be fine and you'll be able to edit again in the future. There's always an opportunity to edit. That's the only reason I press submit on some of my drafts. I called my editor. I was like, so I'm, I'm going to have an opportunity to change this, right? She said, yes, ma'am. You're going to have two more opportunities. Nice. I love the go ugly early thing because yeah, it's great. just like coming out in state. Like it's, it's just like, I don't know, it's being very open, you know, and it's mm-hmm. like you don't have to be perfect with what you're putting out there. And you don't have to appear that 
you're bigger than you are, better than you are. Just like, hey, this is what it is. Like, kind of roll with the punches. Totally. Join me. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. It's like waiting. There's people who I talk to one-on-one and then through the blog in general that they don't want to start, they don't want to go to a gym until they're more in shape. Yeah. I think it's something a lot of people can relate to. For me personally, I didn't want to go to CrossFit until I could run a 400. And when I started CrossFit, it was out of my coach's garage. Um, Elite CrossFit is where I go in San Antonio. It's another one. These guys are friends. And um, I remember Jeremy was hosting workouts out of his garage. And I just, again, it was one of, I swallowed too much coffee one day and I just registered for a class. <laughs> <laughs> and I went and I couldn't, he was in his, his neighborhood, I couldn't make it around the bin for the 400 without having to walk. And it was very humbling. I was starting at grounds. It was ugly. It was early, you know, and, but I just had to do it because yeah. you're not going to make progress and you're not going to learn what not to do if you don't just start. Yep. They say that move, movement creates momentum. So you just got to start. Exactly. That's exactly oh, right. Let's get motivational. In here. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Write that down. But it seems like you're always coming up with fresh content, whether it be recipes or pictures or blog posts. Where do you find inspiration for all that? My friends. My friends yeah. are so inspiring. My, my blogging friends, really. Uh, Julie is, she's, I mean, we're birds of a feather in a lot of regard, but she's one of the hardest working, honest, positive girls I know. And we just, we really push each other. She texts me all the time, wow, I can't believe you're doing all this. I just want you to know how motivating you are. And I'm like, what do you mean you're motivating? So it's just, you, you find a community I think that really helps to support you. You find someone else like you guys are a partnership. Um, I'm sure that really helps you push each other more than you Mm -hmm. might realize. And so I think being a blogger can be a very lonely job. Um, You kind of feel like you're shouting into the abyss and it helps when you make friends. So um, a lot of folks do come to me for new startup bloggers for business advice. And my advice is go find other bloggers that are exactly at your stage and growth and time into the industry and reach out to them and say let's be friends and let's support each other because that can really really help inspire you it makes you feel less alone and um everybody everyone's just trying to figure it out yeah whether they've been around for a long time or are brand new so that's really motivating i really like to follow people and then i like to listen to questions i don't take questions for granted um, and if somebody asks me something on the blog or in the project or they send me a note via social media um, I try to I keep track of all those things and I try to incorporate them into my material yeah. so people really like what to eat out I have a Cassie Joy Eats Out guide it's a free ebook that I send people they sign up for my newsletter for example um, and I have a huge hashtag following of it on Instagram but people are always asking me well what can I eat when I'm eating out yeah. it's not 100% paleo but it's a resource so that keeps me motivated is what people are asking awesome yeah, we'll link to all that in the show notes for sure. Share yeah. with people. Oh, yeah. I'm sure they'll enjoy it. I don't mean yeah. to just plug it, but it just rolled off the tongue. <laughs> it's good. Shameless plug. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, shameless. Well, I was in a I was in a master's program for a year, which is kind of a whole separate story on its own, but it was mm-hmm. a healthcare administration there at AM and they talk a lot about whenever you get into a system, you really need to dive into, you know, the the mission, vision, values, and then coming up with goals and they called it they had this one goal that was called a BHAG. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the big, hairy, aud- audacious goals. 
So I'd be interested to know what what is your BHAG for Fed and Fit, and where do you see it in the future? Oh my gosh, you know my honest answer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, this is a safe place. Yeah, this is a this is a go ugly early BHAG <laughs> for me. It's an ugly word to begin with. They no, kept, I love it. They kept it clean in class. I always thought it was big hairy ass skull. Yeah, you, you said know. that the other day. I was like, I don't, I don't really? think that's it. Oh, that's funny. Um, I actually I worked for the side rail because I want to avoid saying this. Um, I worked for Lululemon for a good year I guess yeah. when I moved back to San Antonio and they had BHAGs and they pushed me out the door to make me start fed and fit because I talked about it for so long um, that was my BHAG when I worked there I was like I want to start a blog um, so my current BHAG I would love to have a cooking show Yeah, that kind of involves a lot of this stuff um, just general science background a little Alton Brown flavor you know where where did some of these foods come from and where's great sourcing and talk about the why but make it fun yeah and not as stagnant as a lot of it can be um have a very non-starchy food and motivation kind of show i don't know what that's going to look like but i have a youtube channel that i'm launching (laughs) awesome it's called almost live with kathy cassie joy Almost so, it's almost live. So it's got like a lag time where <laughs> I gotta edit it. So. <laughs> That's great. So um, yeah, I'm lightly editing it, but um, yeah, I'm gonna do cooking demos and then other little short clips. But that, that's a step towards that. Yeah, that's awesome. Do you have a YouTube channel now? It's up there. It's fed and fit. There's, there's nothing on. There's a there's a video of my dog. Barking. Oh, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> when he was itty bitty, he was oh, no. so cute. <laughs> Everybody loves seeing pictures and videos of other people's dogs. Oh, so. it's the best. Yeah. Yep. Well, give us uh, the details of the book rollout. It's hitting stores in Barnes and Noble and Costco, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Sometime this summer. Yep. It'll be out this summer. You can find. You can also pre-order it right now on Amazon, Indigo, and Barnes and Nobles. All of those okay. uh, different outlets, and it's four hundred pages of. It's got over 175 squeaky clean recipes. I really, I don't like using clean to refer to food because it's confusing, but that's really what it is. There's, I don't have any flowers in the book. There's no art or natural sweeteners. I only use berries and citrus um, in the book. So it's really as healthy as healthy gets because I wanted to put out a book. I have a killer chocolate chip cookie recipe. Don't get me wrong. Uh-oh. But I knew as soon as I put that chocolate chip cookie recipe in a book, I didn't want someone to flip to it and think, oh, these are healthy cookies. And, you know, it just kind of trip them up. So these are, like, they're totally going to support anybody who wants to propel themselves. So over 175 recipes. It's got the 28-day food and fitness program and then a whole bunch of why for all the nerdy science fellow lovers out there um, to kind of answer some of those questions. But, yeah, it'll be on the shelves. And I'm doing a national book tour, signing tour to sign. So I think I'm, I'm going to be in California and Colorado, Chicago, North Carolina at one point, all over Texas, of course, because we yeah. drive everywhere in yeah. Texas. Um, but yeah, it'll be it's going to be a wild ride. And I think I'm actually going to be in New York City for the release date. So wow. stay tuned for that. I think we might have some fun media stuff. That's awesome. Up. Yeah, that's great. Well, we'll link to all those in the show notes with the dates and places where you're at. Perfect. Come up and meet her. Tell her you heard about Cassie on the Two Fit podcast. Yeah, do That's that. Right. That'd be awesome. We've got a very secret high five for those of you who see that. Exactly. I'm gonna come yeah. up with it. Heck it's yeah. gonna be yeah. good. I like it. I like where this is going. Well, where else can people find you and find out more about you? Yeah, I mean, on the web, my home on the web is fedandfit.com, and then on social media, I'm just fedandfit across all the platforms: Instagram, Facebook, 
Snapchat is my new secret love. Yeah. Um, and then I have the Fed and Fit podcast. It's a short 30-minute mindset podcast. Um, and I interview a lot of folks and like to pick their brains on business as yeah. well. So all those places. And then eventually, Almost Live with Cassie Joy on YouTube. There you go. Well, last question. The name Fed and Fit. Yes. Where did it come from? That's a good question. Um, I The Fed and Fit name came to me when I realized that I didn't have to diet anymore to be healthy. And I wanted people to understand that food comes first and you also don't have to starve yourself to be healthy. So you can be fed and really feel fed and be fit at the same time. So perfect. that was that was it. I love it. Let's end with that. What Great you say? stuff, yeah. Yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> Thanks so much for meeting yet again. I'm hungry now. Yeah, yeah. of course. Thanks <laughs> for coming awesome. all the way down here. Sure. Ain't no thing. I feel yeah. very special. Thanks for having me on the show. <laughs> sure thing. We'll do it again sometime. Awesome. All right, guys. Till next time. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Two Fit Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Two Fit USA, the sports nutrition company owned and operated by the Two Fit Guys. To show our appreciation for you tuning into the podcast, we would like to give you a 10% off your entire order at TwoFitUSA.com. All of our products are sugar-free, paleo-friendly, gluten-free, non-GMO, and a whole list of other buzzwords. So hop on over to TwoFitUSA.com. Don't forget to use your promo code FIT1, that's F-I-T-1, at checkout. We highly value and appreciate your feedback, so please leave a review about the products and the podcast at our website, 2 under the podcast and products pages. You can also leave a review on iTunes. Now, if we happen to read your review during one of our podcasts, you'll receive a one-month free subscription of all 2Fit products. So write something noteworthy. If not, we probably won't read it anyway. So go leave a review, listen to the next episode, and till next time.